Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Good morning, church. It's, uh, yeah, great to be together. Um, for those who are visiting, my name is Liam, as been mentioned, one of the elders here, and uh, excited to to be preaching uh, God's Word this morning. Wasn't always excited until this morning. Yesterday I wasn't too excited for this morning. Uh, it was hard going, getting this Word prepared, but I'm trusting that there will be life in this for um, us as a church family. If you've got your Bibles, could you turn with me to Judges chapter 16? We're continuing this morning in our preaching series in the book of Judges. We're actually finalizing or concluding our series this morning. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, Dave looked at the first part of Samson's life and he taught us that Samson was called by God to begin to save the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines and that Samson was a holy troublemaker. This morning, however, we look at part two of his life and uh, essentially the downfall of, of Samson and, uh, and what we can learn as God's people today. What, what can we learn from his life? And that's my heart this morning. So... Let's read Judges chapter 16 from verse 18. We'll pick it up at verse 18. It says, When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she caught a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison." We'll pause there for now. The title of this morning's message, if you're taking notes and if it will be helpful, is Weakness in the World's Strongest Man. Weakness in the World's Strongest Man. Father God, we thank you for your written word. We remind ourselves this morning that your scripture is inspired by you, Lord. And we ask that, Lord, it would be profitable to teach us, to equip us, to correct us, and to train us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I just want to begin with a quick recap of Samson's life. And um, essentially, Samson, his his mother was was approached by the angel of the Lord, and his mother was barren and and was told that she would conceive a, a child and that she would have a son. And her son would be a Nazarite. Now, Nazareth is someone who has been set apart for God's service. And Samson's service, his assignment was that God would use him to begin to save the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines. Begin to save, not completely save, and we see that later in the story. And as a Nazareth, Samson was, was restricted from having his hair shaven. He could not cut his hair off 
And, and that was one of the primary restrictions of being a Nazarite and the, the vow that he would have taken as a Nazarite. And, and Samson grew into a young man, and we see throughout from chapters 13 all the way through to the end of 16. But earlier in those chapters, we see Samson, that the Lord blessed him. And as he grew, he grew into a young man. And at the start of Samson's life, and this is key, at the start of his life, there was this, this, this dependence on God. We see this dependence on God. If you kind of move through the chapters, and Dave did a great job a couple of weeks ago just unpacking chapters kind of 13, 14, and 15. But when you look through that, you see phrases like, the Spirit of the Lord stirred in him. And he went down to Timnah, and there he saw a Philistine woman, and, and he laid her, his eyes on her, and he thought, man, I want you to be my wife. And Samson's parents were like, kind of gutted by that because she wasn't an Israelite, but it actually tells us that it was from the Lord because Samson was looking for an opportunity against the Philistines. But there was the stirring in Samson. If we continue, we then see where Samson puts a riddle to the group of of 30 people at his wedding, and the riddle is, and he challenges these people, if you can't find, get the answer to this riddle after seven days, then you need to provide 30 garments and fresh clothes, or a new pair of clothes. And Samson is manipulated and tricked by his wife and this group of Philistines, and, and, and she tricks him, manipulates him for the answer, tells the Philistine group the answer, and Samson, we then hear that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to another to uh, he went down to a, another town and struck down thirty men for their garments, and then he would he came and gave the garments to to the the group of thirty people. But the point is, the spirit of the Lord stirred him. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. We again see later on the tribe of Judah. They take they take uh, Samson, and and as they're taking him back, it says that the Philistines came shouting at him and wanted to capture him, he, he breaks himself free. But he has the phrase again, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Samson broke free, finds the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand Philistines. We see this dependence that Samson had on God. Right after killing a thousand men, we read in Judges chapter 15, just a couple verses, he's just destroyed the Philistines, or 1,000 of them, and it says, and he was very thirsty. And he called upon the Lord. And he said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servants. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. The spirit of the Lord stirred him. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. We see Samson call upon the Lord. And God comes and provides water for him to drink. And his soul is revived. What am I trying to get across? Samson had this dependence on God. At the beginning of the period of time that he judged Israel. We see just the next verse. Verse 20 of chapter 15. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. At the beginning of his period of judging the Israelites, or being a judge of Israel, he had a dependence on God. But as we look in the latter part of his life, and we don't know exactly when, but at the latter part of those 20 years of judging, we see a shift in Samson. Samson goes from being God-dependent 
to being self-dependent. And I'll show you why I say that. But that's point number one, the weakness of independence. Samson started with a reliance on God, but by the end, he was self-reliant. Just like I've kind of tried to show you very briefly how the Spirit of the Lord stirred him, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, he called upon the Lord for water, we see all that. But now we get to chapter 16, at the latter part of these 20 years, and it says that Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and, and he engaged with this prostitute, and there is zero mention of the Lord stirring him. Praise God, there was zero mention. Now Samson, he's, while he's with this prostitute, the Philistines want to come and set up an ambush for him. And so he leaves at midnight. He leaves earlier than the Philistines um, thought he would. And on his way out, he rips up the doorposts of the city gates. He takes some poles with him and he carries part of the city gates on his shoulders, 60 kilometers from Gaza to a hill, to the top of a hill in Hebron. Gaza to Hebron, about 60 kilometers carrying parts of the city gates on his shoulders. But again, no mention of God. Samson hadn't lost his strength, but he had lost his dependence on God. Samson was living independent of God. He wasn't subject to God's authority anymore. He wasn't being stirred or guided by the Spirit of God. He became self-reliant, self-sufficient, and self-sustaining. Weakness of the world's strongest man. And just like Samson became self-dependent instead of God-dependent, how easy is it for us as Christians to do the same in 2023? How easy is it for you and I to move from being God-dependent to being self-dependent? His weakness was living independent of God. And my question this morning for us, church, for myself as well, has this become our weakness as well? Scripture clearly, clearly urges and, and teaches us to be God-dependent. He has just a few, a few passages of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13. The Lord speaking, he says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Is God your ever-present help? Psalm chapter 121, from verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. Do our eyes turn to God who never slumbers nor sleeps, church? Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Or, and he will make straight your path, sorry. Are we trusting God with everything? Or are we leaning on our own understanding? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The question I'm asking myself when I read that is, is God the primary source of my strength? And I say primary because I don't believe it is exclusively because I do believe God uses my wife, God uses community as strength as well. And you could argue that that's 
exclusively from him and he uses people. But in, in this context, is God my primary strength? Because I know God uses other ways to strengthen his people. But is he the source of my strength? Is he the source of our strength, church? And just lastly, John chapter 15, Jesus speaking, teaching his disciples, and he says from verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Am I abiding in God? Because apart from him, I can genuinely do nothing. To quote Charles Spurgeon, I'm beginning to enjoy his quotes more and more. Not as harsh as a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago, so praise God for that. But this is what Spurgeon says. Do not become self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is Satan's net where he catches men like poor little fish and destroys them. Be not self-sufficient. The way to grow strong in Christ is to become weak in yourself. God pours no power into man's heart till man's power is all poured out. Live then daily a life dependent on the grace of God. What a challenge, church. Are you living your life independent of God? Am I living my life, even at times, independent of God? I truly believe this is one of the weaknesses we see in Samson. The shift from being God-dependent to being self-dependent. God-reliant to being self-reliant. God being his sufficiency to being self-sufficient. And I would argue that in a nation like ours, in a first world context, in a comfortable life that I live, it is so easy for me to become self-dependent and not even know. And I would argue the same for you. So I thought about this yesterday. What are signs that I am more self-dependent than God-dependent? And no doubt, I could have, the list could have kept growing, but I thought five, because five we can remember. And, and by six, no one wants to keep writing notes. So I stopped at five. Lord, use the five. I hope it's not too limited. But here are five things, and, and you might not be able to write word for word because they're long sentences. I, I'm a waffler. Five signs you are more self-dependent than God-dependent. Number one. When things go bad, you don't immediately turn to God for help. And when you do, you're often angry and blame him. Number two, when things are good, you don't naturally acknowledge God's hand at work. And you forget to express gratitude to him. Number three, when thinking about the future, you prioritize your own desires and goals, but neglect to seek God's will and guidance for your life. Maybe it's just me. Number four, when facing something beyond your control, you worry and stress rather than giving it over to God in prayer. And number five. And I, this is, I know, maybe a little bit more specific, but maybe just a challenge for me. When handling your finances, you fail to consider how God would want you to steward them 
And sometimes you actually think that they're your finances in the first place. Those are five signs for me personally that can help me see when I'm shifting from being God-dependent to being self-dependent. And no doubt there could be far more. I don't know which of one of those five or three of those five or all five of those five. I don't know what applies to you, but the challenge for us church is let's learn from Samson's life and say, from today I want to choose to be God-dependent not self-dependent. And every single day make the same decision. Lord, I want to be God-dependent. I want to be dependent on you, Lord. We're never more safe than we are when, then when we are most dependent upon God. I'll say that again, sorry. We're never more safe than when we are most dependent upon God. We're never more strong than when we are on our knees depending on God. When we rely on God, we tap into a strength that's far bigger than ourselves. Are you living your life independent of God? And maybe just lastly, before I get to the second and final point, your dependence is only as strong as what you're depending on. Your dependence is only as strong as what you're depending on. For example, if your dependence is on the dollar bill, it's only as strong as the dollar bill in that particular, the value of it or whatever it might be. If you depend on yourself, your dependence is only as strong as the total amount of strength that you might be able to muster up in a particular situation. situation sorry. But if your dependence is on God, it's unlimited, it's infinite. Are we God-dependent or self-dependent? Number one, the weakness of independence. And number two, weakness of isolation. If we pick up Samson's story where we kind of left it off, he's just pulled apart some of the city gates, taken the doorposts and uh, the bar with him on his shoulders up the hill in Hebron. And we pick it up in chapter 16 from verse 4. It says, after this, he, that Samson, loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by which means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Pick up from verse 7. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Let's pause there for a moment. Not once, not twice, three different occasions, Delilah attempts to find out 
what the secret to Samson's strength is. And each time of those first three times, each time Samson lies about the source of his strength, Delilah thinks it's the truth. She goes and does it. First, it's the fresh bowstrings. Then it's the, the new ropes, being bound by new ropes. And then the third one was um, weaving the seven locks of his hair together and putting a pin in it. And each time Samson lied, Delilah took it as the truth. Delilah did it. When he was asleep, she did this. When he was asleep, she did that. And each time she would wake him up and say, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson would just break himself free. Three different times. And eventually the fourth time, Delilah goes a little harder. She becomes far more manipulative. She keeps on just nagging and nagging and nagging until the scriptures say his soul was, was vexed. Where is it? Ah, uh, 15 onwards, 16. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And some of us, including myself, might want to throw our cheeky comments to particular people. I'm not sure. I'm not going to do that. But he was nagged and nagged and nagged and manipulated. Oh, if you love me, you'll... We, don't need, we, won't, we won't do what Delilah did to anyone. But eventually he gave in and he told her all of his heart. He told her that it was because there has not been a razor taken to my head since birth. And we see in the scriptures, Delilah then gets Samson to fall asleep and puts his head on her lap. And as he's taking a nap, Delilah brings the Philistines in. And a Philistine comes with a razor, shaves off his head. Delilah then says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson thought that he would do just as what he's done before and break myself free. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. His strength had left him. What is the point I'm trying to make with this? It's a good question. When I read that story, I, I've, multiple times now in the last few years, I keep asking myself the same question. Where were Samson's friends? Now, I want to I confess, the, the Bible does not state that Samson was isolated. But the Bible also doesn't state that Samson was not isolated. And there's something called scriptural conjecture, and that can often be taken far out of context and super, super dangerous. But from my humble and personal opinion, healthy scriptural conjecture shows me that Samson was isolated. His parents weren't around, he, seemingly no, no mention of friends, and I just have to ask myself, where were his friends? Because Samson clearly could not tell that Delilah was dangerous, that Delilah had ill intentions for him. And time after time after time, four different occasions, she tries to deceive him for 1,100 pieces of silver per Philistine that approached her. Where were Samson's friends at? From my perspective, Samson was isolated. The weakness of isolation. I believe if you stand alone, you'll fall alone. The question, the second question this morning is, is this your weakness as well? Are you isolated, friend? Scripture clearly warns against isolation. In fact, it actually encourages the exact opposite. 
Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Another well-known passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We'll just read the first couple verses, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Proverbs eleven fourteen: Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Again, another well-known passage, Hebrews 10. Not necessarily talking about isolation, but encouraging the exact opposite. Verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, more as the day is drawing, as the day drawing near. But the principle there, consider how we can stir one another up into love and good deeds. How to be encouraging of one another. How to not neglect to meet. Galatians 6 2. Bear one another's burdens. We can't do that in isolation. The scriptures clearly encourage the exact opposite of being isolated. And my question, church, is. Is this your weakness as well? Just like I believe it was the weakness of Samson, is this your weakness as well? Are you living life isolated? We all need care and support when life happens. I don't need to go through all the, the, possible, the possible ways that life can happen. We need people pushing us towards Jesus. We need community to keep us grounded, to help us not drift. We need good, godly friends to ensure that we hold accountable, that we hold accountable. Isolation is the soil in which temptation grows. Isolation weakens our defenses and makes us vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Isolation is the devil's playground and it gives him free reign to tempt, deceive, and destroy. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded, and I'm closing. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And as you can see, I jumped on Canva this morning. Picture one, the devil, isolated Christian. Picture two, Christians in community, the devil. I thought that was pretty good. But is that not a picture of what isolation can do, church? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's our adversary. We cannot afford to be isolated, church. If you stand alone, you will fall alone. You know, when I look back at my relatively short life on earth, 25 years of life on earth, I am so grateful that we, and I say we collectively as a family, and even now as Alana and I establish our own family, I am so grateful that we have not lived isolated. So grateful. You know, life happens, tragedy strikes, difficulties come, tough times come our way, sin crouching at the door. 
I'm so thankful I wasn't isolated when I relocated and moved countries. Many in the room have done so. I'm so thankful we weren't isolated when we needed meals when Malachi was in the hospital. I'm so thankful, and I think I've shared this in in previous sermon years ago, but I'm so thankful that when my dad got cancer in 2009, and he was having to have chemo all the time, and and it was to the point where the chemo nearly took him out, and I would have been 11, I was so grateful that as a family, we weren't isolated, that we had a church family that could cook meals for us, that could support us, that could pray for us, church families that would take my brother and I on holiday. I'll never forget the woman, Delian Stain. She used to come to our house at 6 a.m. every day. My parents had to leave to go do chemo. And she would make us breakfast, get ourselves, get us ready for school, drive us to school every day that there was chemo. The church in action. I am so thankful that we were not isolated. And when we look at the downfall of Samson, the weakness of independence, the weakness of isolation, living independent of God and living isolated from God's people, the question is, church, is this the same weakness? for you could I encourage you all just to stand if you're able you know whether you live life whether you live self-dependent or God-dependent it actually matters whether you live in godly community or isolated matters how you choose to live will impact and I truly believe this hear this how you choose to live will impact the success of your marriage. It'll impact how your children walk with God in the future. It'll impact the health of your local church family. It'll impact God's call on your life. These things are far too important to live independent of God and to live isolated from his people. Far too important. I only listed three. So what adjustments do you need to make in your life today? Father, as we stand before you, I commit every person, every household represented here today. And I ask in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you would highlight by your precious Holy Spirit, would highlight the areas in our lives where we need to make adjustments. I ask even now as we stand before you, Lord, that you would begin to do a work in us, that you'd begin to correct us, confront us, convict us, but Lord, also encourage and strengthen us. Lord, we want to learn from the life of Samson. We want to learn, Lord, from the weaknesses that we see in his life, and we want to be strengthened by you this morning. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.